Support for Pivot comes from Vanta. When it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices, things can get complicated fast. Now, you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more with a single platform, and that platform is Vanta. Vanta's market-leading trust management platform helps you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk. Plus, you can save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. To learn why thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews, watch Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash pivot. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash pivot to watch Vanta's on-demand demo. Support for the show comes from Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync, so even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account so ambitious companies have the precision control and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at mercury.com. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher in France. Wow. I'm Scott Galloway yeah. in Laguna Niguel. Yeah. I'm in the South. I'm in the Riviera, Scott. You know, you're the Côte d'Azur. That, whatever. I don't know. Whatever. Here I am with the French people. Yeah, um, yeah. I am at Con Lion, which is the big advertising thing, which I wish you were here. I have to tell you, I wish you were here because we are very popular among the advertising, global advertising set. Very is this popular. the part of the show where you talk about how much people love us? They do. It was. It's really interesting. Jamie, Kerry, Scott. Wait, e, that's no, Spanish. it's not all French like, people. It's not Americans. It's yeah. like they like it. They really like the dating show, which was earlier this week. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people told me they listened to it with their spouse, and it makes them mm-hmm. happy. And they all mm-hmm. wish you were here. That is what they all wish you were. They wish you were here. Yeah, I, this is actually, it's interesting that you're here. This, it's the first year I mm-hmm. think I have not gone in about six years. I absolutely love, basically kind of an extended last meal for the advertising industry. Think I'll be invited back next year? What do you think? I don't know. They want you here. In any case, one, one of the interesting things is it's really packed. It's crazy packed. I was at this lunch today. It was on this island and people are, are lost their freaking minds. They were, of course, dancing to some of the songs from Mamma Mia while drinking mm-hmm. rosé and like, throwing their napkins up apparently that's a thing here and um it just it was it's it's astonishing how vibrant it is every not just google google has a beach meta has meta beach there's twitter beach mm-hmm. by the way yep. spotify beach had dua lipa last night and they have post malone tonight and yeah. um they had kendrick lamar uh you know last night i went to something with sam smith let me just rewind a bit. So Can Lions used to be a very significant event because it was where all executives yeah. went to collect yeah. trophies and then find another better job. It was the ultimate networking event. Mm-hmm. And recognizing, you know, who who does the best job of selling light beer or a Korean car. Uh, yeah. It's, but it's, it's in a beautiful part of the world. Everyone's very mm-hmm. usually optimistic. It's a wonderful mm-hmm. get-together. And uh, yeah. I, I've always had a nice time there. Yeah, a lot of yacht. People rent yachts. Axios had a yacht. We need a yacht. That's what I was thinking. Ax- Wait, hold on. Axios has a yacht? They have a yacht. Like, a, not a big yacht, but they have a yacht. All these different people have yachts. That's ridiculous. One of the things that's interesting, we were go- driving past all these yachts, and I kept going, small dick energy, small dick energy, small dick energy. Anyway, there you sorry. go. And a lot of really interesting things. I've, I've done some panels and things like that. A lot of people feel that at this point now, maybe Google and Facebook will lose their grip on the ad business. There's all these people. <laughs> yeah, like, wouldn't that I'm be just nice? telling you. I'm just telling you. <laughs> oh, I love it there. Another bottle of rosé and also some meth, <laughs> rose. please. Yes. Hey, hey, rosé. What rose. other hallucinogens anyway. do you have on the menu? I am having a lovely time. Very smart people. Uh, and and they love a lot of selfies on La Croissette. Anyway, great time. They're very excited and they're drinking a lot of rosé. In any case, I wish you were here. Thank you. Thanks for saying that. So we have a lot of things to talk about. And you know who else is here? TikTok has a big activation here. They say it's not sending Mm -hmm. user data to China, denying it, even as new report says otherwise. Also, Twitter's board gives Elon Musk the go-ahead. Of course they do. They they want that price. Mm -hmm. They want that $54 price, even as the Mm -hmm. stock price stays low as ever. And also we'll speak to MSNBC's Katie Tour about her new memoir, which is a surprise. I read it on the plane here, and it was wonderful. And it's not what you think it's about. 
Um, it's really mm. interesting. We'll talk to her about that. And it has, a, it has a tech angle, too, which is interesting. But first, Medicare could have saved $3.6 billion if it bought its drugs from Mark Cuban's pharmacy, Cost Plus Drugs, according to a study by Harvard Medical School researchers. You know, we've ta- you've talked to Mark about this. I've talked to Mark about this. Cuban's pharmacy buys meds directly from manufacturers, unlike Medicare. Uh, researchers found jarring price differences, such as a 90-day supply of acid reflux treatment costing $160 for Medicare versus $17 through Cost Plus Drugs. Mark is really trying to push this through, and it's it's an interesting thing. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's really exciting. You wonder just how the system became so inefficient. You know, it's, it's supply mm-hmm. chain. You wonder if there's corruption or, I don't know, monopoly power involved here. But it seems it seems yeah. as if, uh, I mean, this is this felt like it was written, and it wasn't, by Mark's firm, because mm-hmm. it's basically just this mm-hmm. giant, it's just sort of unusual for a medical journal to do a comparison and say, yeah. if you'd used this private yeah. company, you would have saved this many billions of dollars. Um, but yeah, look, the anything disruption, if someone had read me this and said, what company Mm -hmm. is disrupting? I would have bet anything. It wasn't a startup from Mark Cuban. I would have bet that it was Amazon. And so I think it's impressive and uh, obviously testament to Mark's vision and entrepreneurial skills that he's been able to get so much traction and so much visibility so quickly. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. He, we, you've talked to interview about him. I bet it's an interesting pivot for him because he thought about politics. He, you know, he's been involved in all kinds of other things. It's the only thing he wants to talk about now. Um, what's really interesting is you come to Europe. Speaking of Europe, and everything's much lower. You go to Asia, everything is much lower. I, I got, as you know, I got really sick when I was in Asia once, and the bill was for a very significant illness was eight thousand dollars total. Like it was crazy low for what all the things they did. Um, and they thought they, they apologized for that bill. Um, and I was hospitalized for two oh, weeks. It was interesting. So when I was researching my book, The Algebra of Happiness, trying to understand yeah. uh, happiness as it relates to societies, the happiest societies, uh, seven of the 10 happiest countries are in Northern Europe. And mm-hmm. happiness is not only a function of what you have and your relationships. The number one thing is deep and meaningful relationships, but also an absence of fear of something being taken from you. And yeah. or an absence of fear of something uh, terrible happening creates happiness. And what the Northern Europeans have, uh, or an absence of, an absence of that unfortunately we have, is that if you find out your wife in America, if you find out your wife has lung cancer, there's probably yeah. a one in three chance you've also found out you're going bankrupt. Yeah. And just to, it, it basically, it, it's, the, it's the number one cause, medical cause mm-hmm. of bankruptcy filings. And, yeah. when, and, and not only that, I'm, <laughs> for the first time in a while, I'm having some interface with our medical industrial complex. It is mm-hmm. just so, let me use an academic term, it is just so ridiculously fucked up and overpriced and expensive and inefficient. And I don't know if it's regulation. I don't know who's making yeah. money here, who isn't. But it yeah. just feels as if, and I, I don't have any proposed solutions. Are you getting your annual tummy tuck or are you okay? Sorry. <laughs> I could use a little tuck. <laughs> I could use it. I'm getting my third uh, penile enlargement. Um, the third one's going to do the trick. <laughs> okay. From now on, I want you to call me Tripod. Oh, no. My God. Our last show, people were laughing with man gravy and the threesome sandwich. Anyway, well, this is interesting for Mark. Let's let's try to have him on and talk about it in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously, if we pay too much. This, would, this is a big topic for so many people. Uh, and it should, some politicians should really respond to this in a much different, I know they've tried, but Whatever. Anyway, the Obama's production company, by the way, Higher Ground, has signed an exclusive multi-year deal with Amazon's Audible. They left Spotify, which has, right now, there's a concert going up by Spotify here. This Mm -hmm. comes after the end of their deal with Spotify. They've been in place since 2019, amid much, um, amid much jubilation, et cetera, et cetera. During the deal, Higher Ground staff pitched dozens of show ideas, but Spotify produced only a handful. Spotify declined to re- uh, renew the deal. Um, I heard from Obama's side that they weren't happy with it. You know, a lot of like, rah, uh, kind of stuff. Um, so now Amazon's picking them up, which is okay. All right. Yeah, so we'll this see. is pure speculation, but when I saw this mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. kind of the go-go days of hedge funds in 2006, 2007, I was advising uh, hedge funds on their tech mm-hmm. and media investments. Mm-hmm. And the head of one of the hedge yeah. funds that I was close to said, could you put together an advisory board for our fund? And I'm like, well, what are you looking for? Yeah. Are you looking for domain expertise? Are you looking for connections? Mm-hmm. He's like, well, we're just looking for visibility and 
credibility. And I said, okay, there's one name that's at the top of this list. And he had just left office, and I thought this is the right time to ask him to be an advisor for a fund like this. So I ended up meeting with Prime Minister Tony Blair several times, negotiating a deal for him to become the advisor. And I think the initial ask on behalf of his representatives, I assume a confidentiality agreement Hmm. expires after a decade, was around 10 million bucks. And we ended up somewhere, I think, at around 3 million. And he was great. He's incredibly charming. He's incredibly smart. But he didn't want to ever introduce us to capital. He thought that would be a conflict of interest. You know, everything was kind of screened in terms of what he would participate in. And then after about 12 months, which goes really fast, and you decide, do we want to pony up another quarter of a million dollars a month? We decided, you know what? He's he's wonderful. He's a he's a, uh, a super pricey. interesting man. We've enjoyed the partnership, but we're not renewing. And Kara, pricey pricey show pony. Go that's ahead. That's right, Kara. Yeah. I think that's what happened here. I, and I don't yeah. know this. I think that everybody thought, wouldn't it be great to have Michelle Obama do a podcast about women empowerment and mm-hmm. to have Obama kind of roaming around the hallways and maybe even introduce, yeah. uh, you know introduce uh, our lineup at our spring. And the reality is these people are notably and understandably very prude about what they'll be involved in and what they won't be. Although, come on, everyone's getting, all those Pauls are getting a payout. I think it's, I think it's untoward. All of these deals from way back are bothersome to me. I find it slight, you know, I don't mind people making money, but. Well, okay, let me put it this this way. This is show pony Uh, land. There's no way they didn't get tens of millions of dollars. Yes. And yeah. the next question is, do you think it's been worth it for Spotify? That's what it comes down to. No, they want they need an Obama podcast or, um, you know, they needed something real big that makes a lot of money. Yeah, and my what, guess is he doesn't what, want to do that. My guess is he sees himself yeah. above doing what we do twice a week. And so at yeah. the end of the so year. So it's just a vehicle and, for other things. Yeah. Uh, look, they might have, I, I might be entirely wrong. Amazon might have called and there might have been a bidding war. What I think happened was yeah. they just said, well, you're great. You're so you're so expensive that we're willing to let you move on. The, I, the, yeah. I bet when the story comes out, and eventually it will, someone will mm-hmm. leak or go on background. Yeah. I think they're going to find out they were getting paid tens of millions of dollars. And it was a lot of fun to have them around. It was super impressive. And they weren't producing yeah. that much revenue. Yeah, that's probably it. You know, Jeff Bezos donated $100 million to the Obama Foundation last year. These, there's also these presidential foundations. You know, I'm hoping they create something interesting. They certainly can attract talent to them. It doesn't mean they will. That's the thing, like like little scrappers like ourselves. You wouldn't find yeah. Obama, you know, dancing with a napkin to Mama Mia uh, amid the advertisers, for example, like myself, which I didn't do either. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, it's interesting. We'll see where, where these big high-profile uh, celebrity deals go with these things. I think they're just a lot of money for a lot of nothing, unfortunately. Well, I was just going to say, it's an, it's an interesting topic, what presidents do post-presidency. And Obama and his and the first lady are so impressive and so young and so attractive on a lot of levels mm-hmm. that their problem was not what to do, it was what not to do. And I think they've suffered from a yeah. little bit of paralysis the last uh, five, five and a half years. I don't think they've done a hell of yeah. a lot. And, no. and more power I mean, they to all them. do books, which is kind of a, their books were hits. I think Obama's, I think her book was a big hit. Right. Um, those are sort of the go to kind of thing. It's, in, it is interesting because even, I don't keep compared to here, but there's a lot of celebrities here. There's a lot of different things. You know, yeah. Ryan Reynolds was here. Um, uh, Snapchat did an incredibly creative thing on, on the La Quasette with, um, Vogue and all these fashion designers, which I thought hmm. was pretty wonderful. I met a couple of them. Um, but it is, they've got to, it's got to, there's got to have an ROI, as they say, somehow, in some way, rather than just, I hung out with President Obama, had, had, had a beer. Well, okay. You, you want, you want to know who's next, right? Who? Who? Netflix is going to announce that after a wonderful partnership, they are parting ways with Meghan and Harry. Yeah, maybe. What, what the fuck have they done? Yeah. A whole lot of nothing. These high profile, big, big burst celebrity things. You know, They've uh, cut them back. They've cut them back, as you know, the, the autom- animated series, if you remember, we talked about it. You're, you're so, just going to yeah. see a lot of people decide to give up these kind of high-profile celebrity yes. feel-good partnerships because all of a sudden, sh- shit's gotten real yes. in the market. And yeah, there isn't any way it. to get around it. Everyone is looking at their numbers in a much harder way for the first time. Got to sign workhorses like ourselves. We're workhorses. You, you know that. We pitch that. Go. We we shovel those ads. We do. In any case, it's an interesting time. Um, lastly, interesting story. I, I don't think you had any thoughts on this, but I thought you might. Kellogg's splitting into three independent public companies separated by cereal, snacking, and plant-based brands. Uh, shares rose by 8% in pre-market trading. They closed just a little bit up, but 80% of its net sales came from the snack division. 
CEO Steve K. Holling said he's exploring a potential sale of the plant-based businesses. Nonetheless, um, what do you, why are they doing this? It's just too big. They don't make any sense together. These conglomerates, there's a lot of them here too. Again, P, you know, uh, Unilever, those kind of people. I love Kellogg's this. And, and of course, the CEO said that this would give each business a chance to focus yeah. on realizing their full potential. This is exactly what happened here. A forward-looking investment banker or the CFO said, uh, okay, all our peers are up 20 to 30% over the last 36 months. We're up eight. The NASDAQ, the S&P, even with these drawdowns, are up 20 to 30%. We are an underperformer. We are inviting. We are an enormous Battle Creek, Michigan dinner bell. And if we don't do something, somebody, a Nelson Peltz, Uh an Ackman is going to come in here and do what we need to do ourselves. So what they're doing is right. they're breaking themselves up because what companies do when they're out of ideas is they start acquiring firms or, or doing stupid things. And actually, maybe that's not even fair here, but you have what you have here is you have a low growth slash declining business, cereals, that probably still produces a ton of cash flow. Kellogg Frosted Flakes probably costs about it. The most expensive thing about Frosted Flakes is the box. And they still right. get three bucks that's for right. it to families who are yeah. stuck in the 50s. But the business is declining, but it spins off a ton of cash. Then you have the snacks business, which is not only growing, but it's big. It's growing high single digits. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing I'll business. Look up some Kellogg's and snacks. then you have kind of their cool, growthy Tesla, you know, the uh, one that got the crazy valuation, Impossible Foods. So they're smart to do split all three of them up. They're going to try Can and Can I take, give you some of their brands? I just looked it up. Um, obviously, Special K. Hello, Pringles. Right. Cheese it. Cheese yeah. are quite good. Cars, table water, yeah. uh, mini wheats, frosted rice krispies, garden yeah. burger. They bought that's their that's one of their things. Uh, Fruit Loops, cornflakes, cocoa pops, corn pops, all those. Anything if you're looking to consistently and crisply take ten years off your life. So <laughs> cocoa pops are not good for you. What? <laughs> the plant-based thing is called Morningstar Farms. Not impossible, by the way. Yeah. Um, but they do have Garden Burger. That's what they have, which are pretty good. But they also have some healthy stuff. And also, uh, snacking is an enormous trend in America. Yeah. There's a huge... Younger mm-hmm. people are replacing at least one meal a day with snacks. It's a well-run company. Yeah. They've always taken... They're always been, they've always been great brand managers. So yeah. what happens in a conglomerate when you end up with a bunch of different divisions is the market looks at the shittiest business and assigns that multiple to the entire business. Yeah. So if you're yeah. a newspaper business, the New York Times, and you own yeah. uh, the seventh tallest building in America, it, it, yeah. it doesn't get valued as real estate. It gets valued as a newspaper company, which tra- was trading at four to five yeah. times EBITDA. So what the market was doing here is it looks at it says, okay, Kellogg's is cereal. Cereal is a shitty declining business, so it gets X multiple. Yeah. So the disposition or the spin of assets is accretive for shareholders. This is a really smart move. So Pop-Tarts get screwed. I love strawberry Pop-Tarts, but I don't eat them anymore. Nonetheless, they have egos too. I'm saying the Swisher children eat quite a few of these every now and then. Let's think. Uh, they definitely eat Fruit Loops. Hello. They love Fruit Loops. Fruit Loops. Really like them, Mike. It's disgusting. They're disgusting. Anyhow, we'll see what happens with Kellogg's. I think they'll probably get sold off those pieces, but just me. Um, it's too small. They'll take the plant one public and hope for a crazy valuation. Yeah, something like that. We'll see. Okay, let's get to our first big story. It's about TikTok and China. In leaked audio from internal TikTok meetings, employees indicate that engineers in China have access to the data of American users. That's according to a report in BuzzFeed News. TikTok previously said that U.S. user data stays in the U.S., and last year a TikTok executive told Congress that the company doesn't share data with the Chinese government. Shortly before the article came out, the company announced that U.S. user data would be handled by Oracle, which is interesting, which was one of the the, the people that were vying to own TikTok in that weird VIG deal that Trump was proposing. Um, and the, the author of this thing also used to work for Facebook, which is interesting. In 2019, Amnesty International said that Facebook and Google's user data posed a, quote, systematic risk to human rights. There's a big move. Actually, this is one of the topics I talked to the CEO of Trade Desk, uh, to this open internet where you can really track this stuff much more and they're getting rid of these black box algorithms, especially for publishers uh, and advertisers. In any case, um, what, why is that important? Do you think if, if TikTok keeps American data on American soil, you still have an issue where they could influence what content algorithm surfaces? I'm not sure how powerful that is. So what is the power here from your perspective? Name and date, location, viewing history, they can buy all that stuff on the open market. So what, what do you think the, the power of this is and why it's important? 
Oh, it's not identity. It's not names. It's not social security. It's not hacking. It's very simple and it's a huge threat. And that is, uh, I think people under the age of 15 or 18 in the U.S. are now spending upwards of, of 60 to 90 minutes a day on TikTok. As you noted with your kid, yeah. And it's very simple. It's a few small, discrete tweaks of the algorithm that says content by thoughtful people, even Americans, talking about the issues and the externalities mm-hmm. of capitalism and how maybe we're a little bit hypocritical or we've lost some moral authority or how mm-hmm. uh, capitalism isn't working for the working class, how our government is bought and paid for. Let's just let's just put a thumb on the scale of that content in terms of small tweaks of the algorithm. And you have mm-hmm. what is um, potentially one of the most um, dangerous, damaging weapons in the history of mankind. But for propaganda. A hundred percent. But our, oh, interesting. if you think about 10, you know, the vast majority of Americans don't have a passport. And the same right. is true of other other people around the world. So mm-hmm. when our, our, our impression, why we go to war is a function of perception and brand. You know, we we de- you know we declare wars on nations all the time that we've never yep. been there, never met these people. Yep. So and if, by the way, if, Ukraine did, has done until you know now people are forgetting it. There's a great job of that in terms of propaganda. Or, or they can the just say, you know sense. what, play a bunch of videos by thoughtful people who claim that January 6th was just a dust up. Just have yeah. just favor those people saying, well, it really is. It really wasn't that big a deal. I'm uh, I'm and I realize I'm being really boomerish here, but first off. As it relates to this specific complaint, it's kind of a bullshit complaint because that's like saying, oh, pe- you know, Google has access to Chinese information if a Google engineer saw data from Google China. But mm-hmm. as as has happened, China has yeah. kicked all these companies out because they realize the danger and, and the danger to China and the da- it's the same danger to America. And that is propaganda has become the nuclear threat. So it's a question of how you solve for that. I just don't, you know, right. I, I, it, how point. you solve for it is going to be a very interesting thing. And this idea of Oracle keeping the side, there's very few companies you can do this. Microsoft and Oracle were the two companies at the time were the only two capable of doing things like that. But it's very difficult. And also the Chinese government doesn't necessarily want that to happen. Well, you, well how you, but let's try and answer that question. Right. I think there's so much money on the, and I know this is what TikTok is, they should spin the American division of TikTok, and they should yeah. basically invite, be very transparent and say, there's absolutely, we are red, white, and blue, up and down, you know. Well, the, I think I talked to a lot of people who are experts. They, they, this this stuff has been built and the software has been made. It's almost impossible to re, they'd have to build it from the ground up. That's what everyone from Microsoft hmm. and Oracle told me, that that it can't, that, that the people who created it and, and, and who created the software, there's just too much there to understand why certain things are there or what they're doing with them. You know, one big thing is no matter how you slice it, everybody has all this information on you across the world. Like your movements and everything else are being tracked by all these massive stores and then they bid on them and things like that. The U.S. government collects enormous amounts of data on you. Um, and I think I, I would say face Google less than Facebook is being really disingenuous saying, you know, scared. Mark Zuckerberg raised with this with me you know, eight years ago, you know, and it was scared about the, the competition, not national security. Um, and and they aren't, you know, exactly stewards of privacy. In 2018, Facebook announced that malicious actors obtain data of 2 billion users. So it's it, the data isn't as important. You're right. It is it is something else. It's the it's the tonality of the thing. <laughs> you know, they're all and the U.S. government, of course, collects so much data on people. If they're, as you said, are they undercounting their influence? I suspect they are. You have talked about that. Uh, I think TikTok is the most ascendant tech company in the world. And I think it's the only tech company in the world that sandbags their numbers. Everyone else lies, uses accounting tricks, invented metrics to try and, you know, turn chicken shit into chicken salad. I think they've been downplaying their numbers. And, I, I, you know, again, going back to this notion of a threat, there was some research done on TikTok. And it's the same confirmation Mm -hmm. bias that exists across all social media. But when young women went on, they had fake accounts with young women talking about how depressed Mm -hmm. they were. Within forty-five minutes, they were being ses- we, they were being served just a ton of content around depression that was yeah. not helpful. Uh, other people yeah. talking about how depressed they were, why they should be depressed, why it's understandable that they're depressed. Nothing around remedies. Nothing around yeah. how to get out of it. What Although many all- people say TikTok is quicker to take action. I think that's true, but as long as so. as long as and and this problem exists. Here's the thing. Um, 
all social media, or almost all social media, has shown no dis- no regard for the Commonwealth or for our children's mental well-being. The majority of them, or really all of them, have done it under the auspices of a private motive. They're not malicious mm-hmm. actors. I don't. Mm-hmm. Pe- I don't think the people at Facebook wake up in the morning and say, "I want more young girls to be admitted to the to a hospital for self-cutting." No, today. no I don't think they. They're not like that. What they do is they kind of ignore the research and the signs because they're making so much mm-hmm. bank. Similar to what the cigarette companies did. However, there might be one that unfortunately has another. That was disingenuous. They lied. But go ahead. They knew. It's sort of like Trump in this hearing. They know it was illegal and they did it anyway. But, you know, the the cigarette companies knew it was a problem and did it anyway. And I suspect a lot of these companies either aren't looking closely enough, but they have some awareness of the problems, whatever they happen to be. And by they're very different depending on what they're doing. And so ignoring the data is what they do. Yeah. You know, so, but back to TikTok. Yeah. TikTok might have an, a, an additional menacing uh, uh, incentive here. And that is you might have the CCB saying the quickest, most efficient way to undermine American society is to make young people just feel really bad about capitalism and democracy. And we can yeah. do that yeah. really easily yeah. because guess what? <laughs> They're listening to us in their ears 90 minutes yeah, a day. Yeah, we're their entertainment. Although, you know, we watch any movie, <laughs> there's so much propaganda coming at people on all sides now. It's really hard to Yeah, but to there's understand. a diversity of it. It's it's mm-hmm. fairly transparent. Uh, TikTok, I think you're going to have, I think TikTok, well, look at it this way. I believe TikTok, other than school and maybe a kid's friends, is going to be the most yeah. influential thing in a young man or woman's or a boy or girl's At life, more so than his or her parents. Are we comfortable well, with they- the notion that the CCP might have some influence over your your kids' views of mm-hmm. the world. And we're not talking about a cartoon or a show or media because mm-hmm. we're talking about 90 minutes a day. Yeah. So I, I think it's a real issue. All right. Well, we'll be talking about it more. Um, uh, in any case, uh, it's, a, it's a really, it's going to be interesting to see what happens to that company. If they, if they continue to stay as creative as they are, by the way, they're very creative also. All right, Scott, let's go on a quick break. And when we come back, uh, Twitter's board gives Elon Musk a green light. And we'll speak with friend of Pivot, Katie Turr, about cable news, Trump and her new memoir. Support for this show comes from Virgin Atlantic. Let's talk travel. Whether you're setting off on a business trip or taking that well-deserved summer vacation, we're always so focused to getting to our destination that we forget to embrace the journey. Well, when you fly Virgin Atlantic, it serves as a reminder that a memorable trip begins right from the moment you check in. That's why they offer loads of special touches to truly elevate your time in the sky, such as in-flight movies, music, TV, and podcasts that you actually can't wait to dive into, a snack bar that you can help yourself to at any time, and an iconically British high tea high up in the clouds. They've got these little salt and pepper shakers that you're encouraged to pocket as your first souvenir. And if you're feeling really fancy, how about a wine tasting experience at 38,000 feet? Uh, So really, we're just getting started. From their brilliant next level service to the food, the entertainment, the planes, the clubhouse, the crew, and so much more. These are just a few of the many special touches that make me love flying with Virgin Atlantic. And I do. I fly Virgin Atlantic a lot. Check out virginatlantic.com for your next trip to London and beyond and see for yourself how traveling for business can always be a pleasure. Support for Pivot comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software, including Jira, Confluence, and Trello, help power the collaboration for teams to accomplish what would otherwise be impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200, or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR, and legal, can stay connected and moving together as one towards shared, company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Scott, we're back. Twitter's board is all in for the sale to Elon Musk. The board unanimously voted to recommend the shareholders approve Elon's offer of $44 billion. Of course they would. Musk said this week they are still a few unresolved 
matters in the deal. He cited shareholder approval, which has to happen, questions about bots still, and whether the debt portion deal will come together. Oh, no, I might not have enough money, I guess. Twitter's not the only subject where uh, Musk was wishy-washy. He was talking about, um, he was talking at a, an event for Bloomberg. I'm sorry. He also said this week that he's undecided on supporting, whether he's going to support Trump in 2024, although he's indicated interest in DeSantis. Um, DeSantis, by the way, is gaining on Trump rather significantly in polling. So um, among Republicans, how does, um, he was very coy about Trump. Uh, Republicans already support the deal. The Texas Attorney General is going after Twitter bots, supposedly, allegedly. I'm sure he's not. Um, so what is going on here? Just Twitter board has to do this because they want to try to get that money, right? Correct? That's their move. This could be summarized very, very easily. And that is, boss, you broke it, you bought it. Uh, he has yeah. been shitposting. He has been distracting them. He has been violating all their agreements. Fine. You want to fuck with us like you own us? Guess what? You got to pay for it. I mean, this is, okay. this is okay. I met a prostitute. I fucked you every which way but loose. Now the prostitute wants their money. Pay me. <laughs> pay me. Your thoughts. <laughs> What can I say? They want the money. It's a great deal if it's if it's you know it's a big spread there, um, and so he's going to have to pay it. That's really it. They of course they're they're going to do everything to say you're buying this this puppy right here. I'm not going to use a yeah, prostitute thing. Gonna, they, I think you they broke are it. Lo- I can't. I would bet that the they board, the like last couple of board meetings of Twitter have been the most enjoyable drinking. they've had a in a rosé. long time. They're yeah, like, a lot of rosé, oh, yeah, no. a lot of throwing the napkin around. <laughs> they have lawyers in there doing There's, nothing but saying, "How can we?" Back this bitch into a corner and make life really, really uncomfortable. They They know exactly what's going on Uh, here. Yeah. And they're doing a good job here. Also, Qatar, the Qatari minister was supportive of it. Whatever. Anyway, go ahead. They believe in Elon. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. They're just saying, okay, we want, we want to see. They're, they're all going to be in six months or less in a Delaware court and they want to see this guy squirm. And the way they do okay. that, and well, this we'll is see what they're what all doing right now. They're, they're not yeah. posing for investors. They're not posing for the company. The, all, mm-hmm. Team Musk and Team Twitter now are all, they're entirely performative around making their case yep. to a Delaware court yep. judge. He owes us $45 billion. No, I, I should be able to exit this deal with no, no breakup fee. This is all, this is moved, this is basically a courtroom drama playing out right now. The people of Twitter that I've talked to recently um, are very jolly. (laughs) It's very jolly. I don't know why they're (laughs) jolly. They were were agonized, but now they're jolly. It's interesting. Um, Also, Musk can't say much. You know, one of the things he posted was he was very calm and almost like dull in this interview. And he had posted a thing where he showed the Hulk, Elon on Twitter and Elon in real life, which was... Bruce Banner and the Hulk, you know, pictures of himself because, you know, what would a narcissist do like that? <laughs> so narcissistic. But he's he was showing that. One of the sad stories that came out this week, and we'll see where this goes, one of his children, he has many children, he has two 18-year-old twins, uh, filed to legally change her name to Vivian Jenna Wilson. Uh, Vivian says she wants no association with her father or his name. Um, and one of the things, uh, it sort of puts into interesting new light some of his uh, tweets a couple of years ago. I absolutely support trans, but all these pronouns are an aesthetic nightmare. I don't. Uh, can you say more? I, I'm not. Fam- I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, he was tweeting some really like stupid. You know, I've known him as a supporter of gay and trans. I, I actually he talked about it with me uh, extensively. Actually, at one point on the phone, when he then started tweeting stupid things like I don't like to say they them, like stupid dumb, like the 12 year old got a hold of uh, Hulk got a hold of the of the keyboard, and so he, 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 that was. And I was like, what? Did you just tweet that? He did a few that were like, listen, you know, okay. Like it was weird. And so I don't know if it's anything related. It's just, sad. it's a sad situation when uh, your child says they don't want your name, I guess. And there's obviously some trauma there in some ways. So I don't know. I try not to talk about people's personal lives, but I didn't love his tweets. So somewhat ironic here. You're right on both counts. I, I mm-hmm. It seems, I don't know if it's a syndrome that's been labeled or identified, but mm-hmm. I generally believe that President Trump and Elon Musk and a variety of other people would would rather say outrageous things. Maybe they believe, maybe they don't, knowing they'll offend people mm-hmm. just so they have attention. It's just like a yeah. my my eleven year old, my eleven year old. I'll occasionally, you know, a few a few weeks ago, I had this wonderful moment with him, and we were talking about 
when my mom and my dad met and he smiled and you know I was about to turn the lights out and I said one moment please and he ran into his brother's bathroom uh, bedroom hit him in the mouth and screamed no one likes you and then ran out for no real reason <laughs> and I'm like okay what is go what just happened and it's mm -hmm. clear like my 11 year old really on occasion on a, on a regular basis decides I must have the entire household's attention regardless of how I get it and I feel this is what these individuals or Elon Musk goes through every 30 seconds. It's, mm -hmm. it's just, yeah. it's, it's really, it's, I don't know if it's psychopathic or what, what the term is, but yeah. th this stuff makes no sense. He's a smart guy. He knows this stuff is not right. In any case, it's, it, I, let's not talk about it. I don't want to talk about that. It got a lot of attention. I agree with you. I think that's off limits. He should stop tweeting stupid things about trans yeah, people. It would be really limits. nice if he would cut the shit. He can make as many stupid meme jokes as he wants but these are kind of really hurtful. Anyway, let's bring in our friend of Pivot. Katie Turr is an anchor at MSNBC's Katie Turr Reports and the author of Rough Draft, a memoir in which she traces her career from its beginnings, watching car chases from her parents' news helicopter. That's what the twist is here to reporting on the 2016 Trump campaign, which has its own kind of action-packed adrenaline rush with a shocker ending. Anyway, um, there's probably a chapter or two about fish shows. It's one of Katie's favorite bands. But <laughs> hi, Katie. How you doing? Welcome, hi. welcome to uh, welcome to Pivot. Thank you for coming uh, on. Let me just say, I was I read this on the plane here, and I did not expect it. I hadn't opened it. I didn't read about it. Um, and it's this. It's not your. You released a first memoir, unbelievable, in 2017, which which really focused on Trump, the situation with you and President Trump when he was. Uh, certainly rude to you. I, I don't know how else to put it, but um, <laughs> but this is about your dad, who is uh, speaking of trans issues, has is a woman now, correct? Yeah, 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 exactly. It's partially about my dad. It's about yeah my the, my childhood, the way I was raised, news family, and how it just informs everything I do now, and how it informs the business in general because they did some pretty revolutionary things. Yeah, talk about what they did because they're very well known. Your parents, I mean, and sort of ushered so, in this era of of live video in the moment kind of thing. My parents were helicopter news journalists. They pioneered the form. Um, huh. They weren't the first helicopter up in the skies, but they were the one that made it useful to a TV news audience. They covered, if not the first, and the very second live police chase in real time. The station broke into daytime programming. It broke into Matlock and the chase beat Matlock. And the station said, oh, wait, this is good for us. People will watch. Let's put this on whenever we can. So they started putting on police chases all the time in L.A. You can thank my parents for that or blame them. Um, they also covered O.J. They found him first on the slow speed pursuit. They covered the L.A. riots and most notably the Reginald Denny beating, the guy that got pulled out of the red truck and beaten within an inch of his life. Malibu fires. Madonna giving the camera the finger. Um, that was your mom's on camera, wedding right? Day. It was not. Yeah. That was my dad's camera at the time. That was oh, not okay. my mom in the helicopter. Okay. One of the things that's interesting is you, you talked about the tragedy of technology and um, what happened here. This is a tra tragedy and technology together. And it really is. Your dad did a, a stream of consciousness kind of reporting as he looked, right? He yeah. wasn't just saying, you know, oh, look, there's a there's a crash on the 405, which is a lot of helicopter journalism is traffic. No. Journalism. So my dad was better than everybody else for two reasons. He was a good storyteller and he could mm -hmm. tell the story of what was unfolding. And I'm using he in the past because my memories of my childhood or my dad of and my, my dad a certain way. My dad, after 2013, um, when she came out to me as, as a transgender woman, I use she. So uh, mm -hmm. I, I hope you understand how I'm yes, using please. the pronouns. Yes, please. Go here. back and forth. Okay. Yeah. So he, back in the time, was uh, just better at storytelling and live breaking coverage than anybody. And it was because he was a good storyteller, but it was also because he knew the uh, the, uh, the U.S. Penal Code by heart. Mm -hmm. He knew mm -hmm. every code on the fire or police scanner by heart. Mm -hmm. He understood what they were saying. So he'd listen to the police scanners and he could tell mm -hmm. you what was happening in real time. And because they had a helicopter, they were really good at developing sources within official capacities because, mm -hmm. hey, you want a helicopter ride? Oh, now we're friends. I'm going to call you for, for source information. Um, so he just had an inside scoop on a, a lot of stuff. And my mom, the two of them together knew the city better than anybody. I mean, they, they could draw you a map with their eyes closed of the city from overhead. It was remarkable. 
So you became a journalist, not a helicopter pilot. Uh, what yeah. was it about your parents' job? It obviously inspired you or played a role in what you decided to do. So I didn't want to do what they did. I, um, you know, the parent, my parents' worlds fell apart in 1998. Um, they lost the helicopter and my dad lost his health. Um, my grandmother died. She was a part of the business and very much the glue of the family. And it felt like news really tore my existence apart. <laughs> and I wanted no part of it. I mean, they, they would give up everything for a story and I just wanted to be normal. Um, and I felt we weren't normal. Um, so I wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer, but I, I quickly realized that I couldn't be a doctor because I failed out of calculus. Um, and I couldn't, I didn't want to be a lawyer because I didn't want to keep going to school. And then one day I just found myself drawn to, I was in college, driving back to college from Los Angeles, to Santa Barbara. And I found myself drawn to a fire in Malibu. I just needed to be in the smoke. I needed to be surrounded by the flames. I'm sure there's your a dad. That was there. your dad's thing, running into flames. It was correct? my it was my dad's thing, exactly. And I just I I wanted to be a part of it. And I found that there was nothing in my life that was more adventurous and more exciting and more thrilling than what my parents did. Right. I mean, it, I wanted to see the entire world, and this would let me do it. And you also run, you know, you ran up to the Boston bombing. That's when you got one of your first breaks, big breaks. Would you call yourself an adrenaline junkie? And what effect has it had on news, this idea of, now, well, local news has always been, if it bleeds, it leads. It could happen to you, the fear part of it, the this and that. Do you think it, it got further, you know, in that adrenaline fear kind of thing that went on? Well, there's two questions there. So I'll start the first one. Am I an adrenaline junkie? Um I think to a degree. If I, when I thought about being a lawyer, I mean, a doctor, I wanted to be an emergency room doctor. I wanted to be in mm-hmm. the middle of the chaos. And it's because I grew up in chaos and I felt, I feel most comfortable in chaos. I feel most calm. Even now, when there's a, a breaking story in front of me, say there's a subway shooting like the other day in New York or there's the insurrection, I find myself very calm and, but also thrilled internally by reporting it in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was partially the Trump campaign as well, reporting in real time the country changing in a really dramatic and sometimes very scary way. Mm-hmm. Now, what my parents did and that adrenaline that they chased, while at, at times they covered important news that was revelatory and necessary, and they uncovered stuff that would not have been uncovered had they not been there. I mean, they covered uh, the CHP just beating the crap at a, a bunch of immigrants on the side of the road. Nobody would have ever known about that had my parents not trained a camera on it. Same thing with the riots. Um, there were other instances which made them, you know, an enemy of, of some local officials in Los Angeles because they felt that they were being intrusive, you know, spot spying on them. Um, but in, in covering these live police chases, they essentially made TV news at the time into reality TV news. Mm-hmm. Watch it. It, you know, there's no context. It's all happening now, 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 now. You don't know how this is going to end. Oh my God, is he going to crash into something? And oftentimes it would end in tragedy. It would end with the driver, you know, crashing into a bus, running through a light and crashing into a bus or the cops shooting the driver to death on TV, on live right. television. Right, right. It becomes and, like network. Yeah. And people were were just fascinated by it and they tuned in in droves. And so you know, the TV news business is a business. In order to do any sort of news gathering, you have to have people watching. You need to sell advertising. You need the money. And so it becomes sort of a vicious cycle. And Kara, you know, we talk about, we've had this conversation. Um, We talk about the way politics is covered today, kind of like a horse race or just put it on the air. We'll figure it out later. I think you can draw a straight line from what my parents did with the, these police chases to, the way we covered happened. Trump in 2015 and 2016, the way we, way we cover things now. There you go. You said something that just piqued my interest, and I, I guess I'm thinking about it, so I'll just ask the question. What what are your observations or what surprised you about your uh, father's relationships after your father began identifying as a woman? You know, I don't, I don't feel like I'm in a really good position to answer that, and, and the reason is, my dad and I are, are estranged, and we had been on track for estrangement um, before she told me she was a woman. We had a very strained relationship. Uh, 
because of some of the things that happened while we were growing up, some of the emotional abuse, uh, turmoil, abuse, abuse and with some physical abuse that I, that I had been, I had resented and I had been carrying with me and I just was, I was running away from all of it. And so when my dad called me and told me that she was a woman, um, part of the conversation, Scott, was that she said, this is where all the rage comes from and the rage hmm. is going to disappear. Bob Tur is dead. I'm now, at the time it was Hannah, now it's Zoe. And I use that as my opening to say, hey, hey, okay, great. Like, let's do that. Let's move forward. I, I'd, I'd love to have a better relationship. I'd love for the rage to be gone. Has I mean, that shit, happened? The rage haunted me. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no, I, no, no. And that's what's hard. Um, yeah. the, the conversation didn't go well. It ended okay, but it didn't go well. And then the next one we had really didn't go well. Um, and it's just, you know, we've tried, we've started and stopped a bunch of times over the years and it just ends the same way with, with her getting really angry at me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm I don't really shift. know how things have changed. Yeah. Let me, let me shift. Speaking of anger that Trump, when you covered him, that you were right in the middle of that and you were subject to a lot of it. And then just this week, uh, the really brave election workers were subject to anger brought on by Trump, um, and stuff. And so you were in the middle of a, a rage machine, uh, in, with covering the Trump administration and the Trump campaign. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and what you see, you know, th- there's sort of such a bright line between that campaign and what's happening right now in the hearings. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, what's happening, this sort of free, free-ranging rage all over the country, including about trans issues, by the way, but yeah, go ahead. And, and, and we could talk about that, but let's talk about the the rage that I saw mm-hmm. back then. You know, it was really, it was very strange for me because I came back, I was a foreign correspondent. I came back just for a few days to say hi to folks. And in the time that I was back, Donald Trump announced he was running for president. Everybody thought it was a joke, but also um, the Supreme Court said that same-sex marriage was legal and constitutional. Mm -hmm. And I remember in the moment of that feeling so filled with pride and joy for our country Mm -hmm. and, and being so optimistic about just genuinely optimistic mm-hmm. about the future it surprised me how like happy I was mm-hmm. um, in looking at in in what would lay ahead of us and then it just felt like that was ripped away from me when I started covering Trump because all of that joy and that happiness and acceptance was nowhere to be found mm-hmm. um, while I was covering these rallies instead it was rage it was anger rage you're taking something from me. You're doing this uh, to me. I like this guy because he's pushing back against you. You're not, you're not on my team. He's on my team. Mm-hmm. And they would take it out in the media. They'd come up and they'd spit at us and they'd give us the finger and, and yell and call us names. Not everybody, but you know, a good portion. And it was shocking to me. And it didn't get better after Donald Trump was president. It mm-hmm. just people seemed to get angrier and angrier. And then you had you know, it wasn't just, you know, Republicans and Trumps who were angry. It's mm-hmm. everybody got angry. Mm-hmm. Um, and that led to where we are today. And I think looking back on these on these January 6th hearings, all the lies that fueled that fueled the violence of that day and the violence that I think is still hanging over us. Mm-hmm. It's it's a hard thing to reckon with. Yeah. CNN's new boss, Chris Lick, says he wants to rein in opinions, sort of the Cable gets yeah. blamed for this, says uh, he wants room for nuance. So is there room for nuance, not just in media, but in politics and everything else? Do you feel that that's the case? I think there should be. I, I do. I, listen, I think some things are pretty, some things are black and white, some. Mm-hmm. But I think most stuff is is has, has some nuance to it. And I, I do think there's more room for being able to have a conversation. I think there's a desire for that within the country. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talk about cable news. There's a very small portion of the population that watches cable yeah. news. There's a very big portion of the population that is out there to be gotten, mm-hmm. uh, to to be consumed. And, and so we have to find a way to convince them. And, and we've done research on this. We know what there's a lot of people out there looking for news and analysis that, that isn't hit you over the head biased. Mm-hmm. And I'm certainly drawn to that. I don't, I don't need to be screaming from the rooftops about this side being evil or that side being evil. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there's room for it. Is it going to fix our problems? I mean, it remains to be seen if we can figure out a way to talk to those people. Do you think this is, if you go back to 2014 and we're 20 odd months out from an election where Trump is elected, it feels eerily similar. Yeah. Is it, is it happening again? I mean, I don't know. I, I have a hard time 
I don't know anything. I have a hard time believing that Donald Trump, just knowing his personality, would want to hand over the power of the Republican Party at Mantle to Ron DeSantis, mm-hmm. which is what would happen um, if he if he did not run. So I I you know I think he's going to run again, and I think it it'll be different because he well he might be, but he as of now won't be on Twitter or mm-hmm. Facebook, and so it'll just be functionally different. Um, and I think we've learned some lessons in the press, but I don't have hopes that it, that it won't be violent. Hmm. Wow. Huh. Well, I think we'll end on that. Oh, good. Your book is very, <laughs> I was surprised and moved by it. At the same time, just, it felt hopeless. You know what I mean? Like it was, I was so surprised. Not that you're not, you know, sunny and bright whenever you're on cable, but it was, um, it was the, the difficulties, the, the way you reflected in the relationship with your dad was also, the relationship we all have with everything, right? It's sort of like we've gone down some hole of some I sort. I would say it was hopeless. I, I think that it is just accepting, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I, I write about this. It's everything and it's nothing. Yeah. All yep. at the same time. And yeah. and I, I'm hopeful that it's stuff that I've been running away from. So I'm hopeful that getting it out there yeah. um, is going to bring me some peace and mm-hmm. make me a better mom. And, yeah. and I also just, it's a good story. It's and a good I'm, story. I'm proud of a lot of it. And I'd like, you know, I'd like to be able to share it. Well, it's a great book. It's called Rough Draft, a memoir. I think you will really enjoy it. It's beautifully written. It's out now. Thank you, Katie Turr. Thanks, Katie. Thank you, Kara. Thank you, Scott. All right, Scott, I recommend you read. Uh, it's a really, really good book. It was so surprising. And the yeah, stories about the helicopter stuff was astonishing and, and the abuse and um, it was real. It was a real eye opener. Anyway, one more quick break. We'll be back for wins and fails. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Okay, Scott, let's hear some wins and fails. Just so I can alienate the left and the right. Um, my win is Good. I nice. thought that uh, uh, the International Federation for, I think it's for swimming, it's called FINA, FINA, I don't know. I thought mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. uh, uh, handled the situation around transgender athletes well. I think that's mm-hmm. a really difficult, I think we're having a, an overdue and wonderful conversation around gender fluidity and the rights Um that people that people should be afforded and the grace should, they should be afforded, but this it, it quickly presented what was a very unusual situation with women who had gone through puberty as men, and uh, were competing against uh, female athletes. And I think that uh, deciding that uh, you have to transition before puberty, otherwise you have to compete as the gender mm-hmm. you were born. I think that was the right call, and I think it was a difficult call. Yeah. I think they could have sat on their hands. But I think that took a, a difficult uh, issue. I think it was the right call, and I think they handled themselves well. And the majority of these athletic bodies are, you know, so many of them are corrupt. They operate in this nether netherland where they can just make a shit ton of money and not be subject to any sort of audits. And I, I was just impressed with the way they worded this. I liked the release. I thought they showed leadership. Anyways, my win is... is uh, is okay. Fina and how they handled what is a difficult a difficult issue. Um, do you have any thoughts on that, Kara? Uh, I, 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 it's interesting. I, so many people have mentioned this. I don't know why it's become such a huge topic. You know what I mean? It, yeah. it, it seems to envelop people's brains for some reason. I thought they handled it well. I, I, I'm of many minds on this stuff because it's not because 
I think transgender people have suffered so much pain and so much abuse by our society, and it's inexplicable. Yeah. It isn't, yeah. but it is. You know, I see why people, you know, it's the same thing with racism. It's just, it's a, I get, I see it, but I'm also like, how can this be at the same time? I'm not naive. Um, but I think it's very, it's, there's a, in this case, I thought they handled it correctly. It's still hard. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, if you feel like you're a woman and there's all these arguments about words, I'm just like, stop. Just try mm-hmm. kindness. Like, let's try to all figure this out. Like, kindness has not been tried against uh, this group of people that deserves much more dignity and um, and has been much abused. Society's real punching bag. And so I think most people, if they are allowed to be decent, can be decent. Maybe that's not right, but it's a difficult one. That's a good one. I think a lot of local school districts, too, will decide that they want to let um, their kids, whatever they identify with, play that specific sport. I I don't, and I I think that's up to, you know, a complicated issue. Um, My fail is just, just in case if you were worried that Florida was fresh out of crazy. Uh, once again, oh, we've not. we've cemented our role as just batshit crazy, and we've decided that we're going to be the only state in the nation not to pre-order or distribute the Pfizer and Moderna mRNA vaccines. Yeah, um, <laughs> this is just okay. So, how do we make? Oh, and he was he was obnoxious about it. He was a douche about it. Ron DeSantis was his speech was so obnoxious. But but so. one of the things I love about the GOP ideology is there's a power to people get to decide that we shouldn't infantilize people that if you you always want to err on the side of letting people have liberty and have domain over their own decisions and right, right. what he's decided is he's going to make it harder for state sponsored health clinics and doctors to let parents who decide to vaccinate their kids find a vaccine that that couldn't be more anti gop no it's such a it's so government sanctioned he's such a communist but go ahead sorry yeah it's so it's so i i'm i'm a former uh, navy lawyer and i know better than the cdc the national association of pediatrics the every basic every health commissioner on the planet except for the whack job we have in florida because i know better yeah. and what's going on here is the same thing that always goes on here and is a reason why i believe we are in such a bad place in our nation and that is everything is doing right now is an attempt to say to get press and the press is Hey, far right voter in Iowa, I am crazier than the next guy. And that's become how you win elections. You go, it's been conflated. The more bad shit extreme you can be, that's been conflated with leadership because people are so upset and so angry and so polarized now. They want someone who they see as fearless and macho. And the way you demonstrate your fearlessness and your macho is you make these bad shit fucking crazy decisions that yep. impact and hurt people on the ground. I think he's just he's playing for the cameras. But honestly, the whole pack of people around are a bunch of loons and they love government overreach. I don't know how else to put it. Government overreach into people's lives. That's that's what they become. Um, I would give on the other side, there are public officials who really do the right thing. I would mm-hmm. point to two, three, actually. Uh, Arizona House Speaker Russell Rusty Bowers yeah. couldn't be more different than me. He did his duty under enormous, enormous difficulty. He walked in um, and did uh, did the right thing and told he was he was they tried to make him say the election was rigged. He refused to do it. He also said he said that um, the Bowers uh, Trump put out a statement asserting that Bowers told me the election was rigged and that I won Arizona. Uh, Bowers chuckled at the absurdity. Um, again, other officials, uh, Brad Raffensperger, these are all Republican officials, and Gabe Sterling mm-hmm. face similar pressure. And these two election workers, I, I urge you to watch their testimony. Former Georgia election worker, uh, I think it's Wandrea or Shay, Shay Moss is her name, um, mm-hmm. uh, really resisted. And the kind of attacks, um, uh, were just astonishing. These kind of attacks that he, and she and all of them, all of them got in Georgia um, were really disturbing. Um, and, um, you know, of course, the, the the clown prince lawyer, Rudy Gialani, who I hope gets his all his licenses revoked, said, uh, we've got lots of theories. We just don't have evidence. What a terrible person that man has, has become. Um, in any case, I, I, I find that really like it shows how how thin the defense is. 
um, you know, for our people that stand up and say, this is bullshit. And I really appreciate their, their work. So I think that's she a gave powerful testimony. I thought that was really powerful. So did she, yeah, um, yeah. and her daughter, I think these are election workers. Like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, honestly, um, anyway, very, very moved. And a lot of, a lot of the, you know, I know people don't want to say don't, you know, support Republicans who finally came around and told the truth about Trump. These people at the time when it mattered most. Yeah. absolutely did their jobs. And that's a really, I know it's a low bar, but it's the it's the right bar. Anyway, those were my wins and my fails were like the people that attacked them. You know, it, it, and like we're speaking on Wednesday night. You know, tomorrow probably is, Roe versus Wade will probably somehow be uh, destroyed uh, by the Supreme Court. That's obviously a fail. This idea of um, government's not letting people do the things they want to do. Um with their own bodies is really, um, it's sad and taking away people's rights that they've had. Um, I think they're going to rue the day they did it and we'll see what happens. Um, but it's not a particularly good sign for our democracy for this to happen. So that's on that note. Um, that, that's probably going to be my fail this week. Mm-hmm. Okay, Scott, that's the show. We'll be back on Friday for more. Can you read us out? And I'd like you to do it in French, please. I feel as if we need to end on a brighter note. Did you know right outside <laughs> of Cannes, a huge yeah. cheese factory exploded? Oh, no. All that was left, Kara, was a bunch of debris. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> that's good cheese humor. That is good French humor. There you go. go. Today's it. show was produced by Lara Neyman, Evan Angle, and Taylor Griffin. Ernie and Todd engineered this episode. Thanks also to Drew Burrows and Neil Silverio. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Box Media. We'll be back next week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. Kara, have a great time in the south of France. Thank you.